I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society to discuss everything from their latest endeavors to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. Ben Elton is a stand-up comedian, novelist, playwright, actor and writer who's best known for his work perhaps on the 1980s sitcoms The Young Ones and Blackadder and as the popular face of the decade's alternative comedy boom. His recent Shakespearean BBC sitcom Upstart Crow was a huge success which he also adapted into a West End play. He's also a highly respected author and has published 16 novels, six of which became number one bestsellers. Widely known for his writing for the stage, he's written three West End plays and the global phenomenon that is We Will Rock You, based on the music of Queen. Now he's set to return to his first love and is bringing his stand-up show to the London stage later this month. Thank you for having me, Mariella, and thanks for that lovely intro. It always the word actor always gets slipped in. I, I think that's a big claim. I think it's thirty years since I last trod any sort of board as an actor, but uh, I'll take it if you're offering it. It'd be worse if I'd said minor thespian or something like that, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> I think that would have described it. <laughs> so you have to be grateful for small mercies. Now, I've, I've mentioned your, your stand-up show, which you're just about to bring to the London stage later this month. And, and the way I said it, I realise, makes it sound like that's something that you haven't done for a very long time. But I think in, in 2019, you returned to the stand-up stage. Is it is it a continuation of that show? Is it something completely new? Um, you know, what prompted you to go back to that particular profession of yours? Well, it's uh, it's very much a continuation of that. It isn't something completely new at all. It's part of that big 2019 effort, which was supposed to have finished some 18 months ago. But I, like everybody else, was rudely interrupted by the pandemic. Um, I did a big, big tour of the UK about an island, about 70 dates or so in the autumn of 2019. And then I went to uh, Australia, intending to do the Australian and New Zealand tour and come back and complete it with a final triumphant season in the West End, my first ever such uh, endeavour. But as we all know, we got interrupted. So it is very much the same tour, although actually uh, 
the, the material has changed and grown as it always does on the road. And in particular, with this massive gap, I mean, we've had the pandemic, which you can't ignore, although I'm not going to dwell on it. And a lot of the 2019 material is now very out of date, more out of date than two-year-old material normally is, because, of course, I was doing a good 20 minutes riff on Brexit back then. You remember that phrase on everyone's lips some time ago. Uh, and I certainly won't be doing any of that material. Um, so it's kind of new, but it's also old. But you asked a double question, why do it at all? And that's certainly when I did start in 2019, it had been 15 years um, since I last toured. And a lot of people sort of knew me and still think of me, if they do at all, as a comic. Uh, that 80s uh, vision looms large in my legit legend, uh, to, to quote the, the Beatles in, in Hard Day's Night. So I, people think of me as a comic if they do, but I hadn't done it for a long time, only because I was a family man. I was happily bringing up kids and writing novels at home and making school dinners. And then kids left home and I went back on the road. And uh, here I am finally doing that London season I planned to do. Triumphant London season. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep the word in there. It's 40 years now. It was only 38 years then, but it's 40 years in the business. To Much almost neater. The, um, yes, indeed. Now, I was just talking to my colleague, Luke Jones, and uh, on Times Radio. And as you said, you know, uh, this was a return to stand up after 15 years. And a lot of people uh, might still remember you as the kind of raging uh, young man of the 1980s comedy, alternative comedy circuit. How difficult is it to sort of grow up? in in comedy I, I i spoke to luke about i, I went to see billy Connolly at one point mm. i'd never seen him live before and oh, a friend really? brought me to see him um at the uh hammersmith apollo i think it's called now mm. and it was very shortly i mean it was a, a couple of years maybe after he'd moved to la and you know was having the sort of california experience and uh, a lot of his jokes were about nannies and swimming pools and you know finding the right limousine and you could see that there was distance between his old audience and his new life. Is that something that you have to think about when you tackle uh, stand-up again after a long period? Well, I think very hard about my material. Um, I've always found expressing myself something I feel kind of urged to do. In fact, if anything, the um, longevity, 40 years, I think has given the given my material a very interesting turn because it is, it's quite something to have spent... 40 years in the comic arts. I mean, and, and in particular in Britain, I mean, everyone seems to be very international now. All our big stars are sort of really half American stars ever since sort of Ricky Gervais and Russell uh, Brand and early Eddie, you know. Um, but I I was uh, of that last generation that were very parochial in, in as no one was interested in us apart from ourselves, you know, back in the 80s. Even Rowan, you know, LA did not beckon. There was no global comedy circuit as the internet allowed. And so I've always been a British stroke Australian of late but mainly a British comic and I've had 30 40 years at it so I'm able to go on stage looking at material I've done looking at the world changing and speaking to my own confusion as somebody my first gig I was 20 21 I'm now 62 because it was February 1981 when I first did it a long time ago and uh, I've spent my entire life kind of looking at British society via my own particular comic lens and I'm still doing that. And I think the theme of the show, which I, I think is definitely striking a big chord, is my confusion. I was always very certain of what I thought. I sort of, you said raging. I never felt I was raging. I was passionate, a bit scared on stage, scared of the gong. I'd spoke fast. 
furiously, certainly, but also I hope with with joy and still do. But I did sort of think I knew what I thought then, as all young people do. Um, You know, there's no certainty like a young person's certainty. And as you get older, you start to feel, my goodness, things aren't quite what I thought. They're changing presumptions on every level. And I think society is shifting more quickly now than, well, certainly well, in my lifetime, but I love to look at history. And I think in many, many lifetimes, I mean, we're literally seeing questions of gender questioning, you know, presumptions that nobody of our generation even thought to look at. You know, this is interesting times, to say the least. And I'm able to look at that and say, and the theme of the show is the more I see, the less I know. Effectively, it's not just that I'm confused today, but what I'm confused about today is making me confused about what I always thought I understood. It's almost like I'm getting stupider with hindsight. And, uh, and that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. I do not even get what I got. And that makes me feel I am speaking to not just my audience, but the children of my audience who also sometimes turn up. Uh, because I think we're all feeling a bit confused. Is it harder, though? Because comedy loves clarity, doesn't it? You know, everyone can unite behind a particular sentiment. I mean, you know, going back to the 1980s, you know, it was anti-Thatcher, you know, and, and that, that had a fraternity and it was very clear. And and the idea of sort of general confusion, which I think is absolutely what a lot of people uh, feel, is harder to clarify, isn't it? How, you know, does, well, it, does I, it make it, does it make it, you know, th- th- surely there must have been a change in terms of how one approaches uh, stand-up in the 40 years since, since you started out, you know, that, 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 that reflects a change in you, yes, but also in the way audiences disseminate, uh, you know, information and, and, you know, the kind of tribal nature of, of, of politics and people. I don't think I agree about comedy loving clarity. And certainly, you know, there was nothing funny in being anti-Thatch. I think I was funny uh, about my view of society. Um, and some of that was political because the 1980s was an extremely divisive decade. But divisive, in, as you say, in kind of much bigger, more tribal lines. You know, the first gigs I did, I could smell Brixton in flames. I mean, you know, the the Metropolitan Police seemed to be almost at war with the black community in various areas. Um, That's what it looked like. Then suddenly they were at war with the miners. And suddenly we have a situation where it looks as if the police are almost at war with everyone at the behest of of Thatcher. Now, some people approved, some people didn't. I didn't talk about that all the time. I certainly people, some people said I did. I certainly didn't. but I've always used what's going on in my in my world and the world I live in to fuel my observations, my observational comedy. Then, yes, um, Mrs. Thatcher loomed phenomenally large in the decade and, and was an interesting figure to speak. I mean, the difference with someone like Johnson is, is a, it's a cliche to say he, the likes of he and Trump are sort of beyond satire, but they really are. I mean, there's nothing one can say about them that everybody hasn't thought, even the people who like them and support them kind of know who they are. There's no point pointing out that, that they're motivated by venal self-interest because in a way that's their brand. You know, that's almost, they're, they're proud of it. Um, uh, Thatcher is a politician of deep principle, not principle I agree with, but, but uh, you know, made an interesting target for very different reasons. But I don't think there's any difference. I'm still looking at the world I live in and 90% of it's nothing to do with politics. It's about, you know, being a bare-forked animal. A small, I used to say a farty. Shakespeare probably put it a bit better, bare-forked animal. Small, scared individuals, which is what we all are, 
scared of, you know, not knowing what to say to a wine later when he, when he or she asks you to taste the You know, we are all, you know, annoyed because we've chosen the wrong queue in the post office in the days when one did queue in a post office, thinking the other ones moved faster. Most of my comedy is nothing to do with either, you know, party politics or indeed any politics. But when it touches on one, like I say, Brexit, Brexit was was dividing the nation in a way that none of us had ever even, even the miners' strike didn't seem to divide the nation the way Brexit did. Um, and of course, I wasn't going to ignore it on stage, but I'm not going to cover it now because, frankly, we're all we were bored with it and we moved on. I don't think there's any different, Marietta. I'm I'm different, but the job I'm doing is the same. We do, however, live in a in a, a different climate, if you will, a, a much more censorious one, I'd argue. I mean, the things you couldn't say back in the 80s were pretty clear, they were usually about sex, basically, you know, that people or the queen, you know. Mm. But but other than that, it was it was, you, you know, one had fr- free reign. Is it harder now? Because you're you're really sort of stepping on eggshells uh, in terms of veering into areas that, for example, you know, your 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 most recent novel, Identity Crisis tackles gender and social media and identity politics. Are you much more comfortable in tackling that in fiction rather than in stand-up? Because you can't afford to put a foot wrong when well, you're on look, stage. Well, I'm, I'm look, I can't say I'm comfortable about it. And I certainly, and I'm doing, I'm doing all those subjects on stage and the subject of how uncomfortable you feel and are you scared of being cancelled? Oh, you're all a bit nervous. I've said the word trans. Nobody knows where we're going to go with this. Am I going to get JK'd? Um, there's no doubt at all. These are really fascinating times. We do have a kind of new Stalinism developing. There are orthodoxies of thought which appear to be undiscussable. Um, you know, this is how it is. You either like it or you are a, a thought criminal. Um, there's no doubt. There are These are intolerant times in some ways. In many ways, they're inspiring and, and we're expanding our thinking on all sorts of things. In other ways... Uh, all because of the internet, there is a deeply splenetic, um, unsubtle fury sort of f- uh, bubbling beneath the, fu- uh, the the surface where a very small groups of highly motivated people can suddenly own the debate, own the conversation, as we say, via the internet. The internet has certainly changed the nature of every aspect of human society more I talk about it on stage I mean I I talk about wishing Steve Jobs had never been born because uh because frankly I believe the iPhone is a more fundamental has changed society human the human experience more fundamentally than any other any other invention in the history of the world more than the wheel more than the 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 internal combustion engine every single human being on the planet can be sold the same lie instantly because we all now carry a globally connected computer in our, our pockets. That's really phenomenal. There's a lot to deal with as a comic. And yeah, I take some risks on stage, but Marianne, I've always said that if you apply one's own good nature, I hope, and sense of sense of responsibility, not to this phrase, punch down, not to bully, not to take the mickey out of people, but to question them. I take it on. You come and see me. Yeah, it does. You can hear a pin drop sometimes because I am dancing with the cancel culture not deliberately i go oh look see what i can nearly say that's not what i'm talking about at all i'm talking about this phenomenon where literally every christmas christmas is coming right there'll be a lot of families gathering around the table there will be a lot of dads and mums going i'm saying nothing i'm not entering this debate i don't want to talk about it and lots of kids going on oh, can you please not go on about it we understand it you don't the generation gap is bigger than it's ever been in some ways I was the radical back in the 80s. I mean, I was considered 
really quite a sort of con alternative, controversial, whatever. So I've been there, I've done that, and now I'm a dad and have been for years. So I've got a perspective which I think is, uh, is a very good place for a comic to be of my age. I'm not saying the times are easy for comedy, but they're certainly inspiring. But it's still radical. In fact, it is the most radical thing you can do at the moment to take on thought crimes. I mean, did you ever imagine that you would find yourself in a world where what Orwell imagined in, in, in 1984 actually came to pass uh, with people not actually um, perhaps fully registering that thought crime is now, you know, a thing? These are worrying times. There has come a point now where orthodoxies of identity and gender to gender, or I think most people of good spirit want to embrace, embrace all inclusion and, and, and wish only the best for each other. But the idea that they, they, these things don't throw up confusions and questions that are worthy of care, reasonable and civilised debate is, is ridiculous. Um, the, these ideas are big and bold and new, and I talk about it. The point is, um, reasoned and considered debate is not the thing of the Internet. Um, uh, and that's why we live in such dangerous times, because both people are, are from all fringes, you know, um, of, of, of the idea. You know, we can talk about incel. You know, we can talk about Donald Trump, who is able to actually, you know, uh, dog whistle racism in a tweet, which is unanswerable, uh, which there, there are no gatekeepers, no editors. These are very dangerous times, and I think George Orwell would understand them very well. There is a sort of new Stalinism in the air. I hope that my routine, while being totally hilarious on a minute, second by second Naturally. basis, actually takes this on from all sides. And I've had, you know, let's say I've done about 150 gigs now. So, yeah, I think people, and it is interesting, a lot of my fans, old fans, are bringing their kids, and it's very interesting, the... Um, the fact that uh, it's even, what I'm saying seems to speak to everybody. I think everybody's a bit sick of biting their lip. I think everybody's a bit sick of being told they're thinking things wrong. And I think it's good to it, it's very healthy to air that. Do you use social media? Do you feel cowed by it? You know, you must have had your your fair share of onslaughts uh, over the, the last few years. I don't know. I mean, do you are, are you on Twitter? Mariella, I was getting trolled on a on a piling basis 40 years ago. When I first heard about Twitter, I thought, why would I put my head above that parapet? I have been being kicked around by, by people who decide they know me and they don't like it for a very, very long time. Uh, I, the old media was enough for me. Um, so I took a kind of pretty obvious decision for me, which professionally is, 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 is extremely hard, in that I am on no social media of any sort. I have no Facebook, I have no Instagram, and I've never been on Twitter. I don't say this is some kind of Luddite pride. Oh, I don't deal with that. You know, I still dress in a 19th century costume. <laughs> no, I do it for my own mental health. I could see exactly what was coming. I could see it. I understood. I thought this, this is not going to end well. And so Twitter, I knew I would live at the very best end of it. I'd live in a constant essay crisis. I thought if I'm trying to say something witty each day, that's going to dominate my day. I just can't do the, oh, you know, I had a marvellous dinner and how marvellous. You know, I can't do that. I, I, I'd, I'd, have, I'd feel I had to be clever and, and, and it would ruin my life. I'd, I'd live in a, a sentence crisis every day. And, of course, I am aware that it allows people to vent uh, the most unedifying rage against anyone and everyone, and I would certainly be a target for that. So 
I deeply regret not being a part of it because it's a an essential tool of life now. I, I mean, I wouldn't have to do any promotion if I was if I had two million Twitter followers, and if I worked at it, I probably could have two million Twitter followers. But and that would be great. I could tell them all I'm on tour, and that would be the job done. Um, and I ha- I don't have that, and it's a big regret. I think I'm the only person I know who doesn't have that tool, and I really wish I did. But the, honestly, the pi- price paid is just too high. I I couldn't bear to be on social media because it would drive me completely crazy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I want to know about lockdown, uh, Ben Elton, first, because I, I'm wondering, you were on your Australian tour, so does that mean that, that you ended up um, in Australia for a longer period of time than than you meant to be? And, and how did it play out for you? Are you a person who, who you know, survives well uh, in isolation like that or not? Uh, well, it, it, the first point, exactly. Yes, I did get, I got trapped in Australia. I mean, many people might think the worst place to be trapped and they're right. I was not intent. I was intending to spend most of 2020 in Britain. We opened the Upstart Crow play uh, to some acclaim. It was rather a splendid moment. I don't always get a nice reviews, but I got very nice ones that time. And, and an Olivia nomination at the airport back to Oz to do the Australian leg of my stand-up tour. We got an Olivia nomination. And I thought, oh, gosh, what fun. I'll be flying back to Britain to have a lovely Olivia party. We might even win. We didn't, but, you know, good fun. Um, anyway, then we got off the plane and, and the show had closed. I mean, that's how quick COVID happened and the show closed and then the borders closed and I, there I was. And whilst um, actually I had a tremendous, firstly, I was good at lockdown. We're lucky, you know, we, we got a big house. Um, you know, the, 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 apart, the lock, lockdown, there's nothing, nothing defines what wealth gives you more than lockdown. A garden made the difference between people's mental health and not mental health. The difference between being locked down in a, in a flat, in an apartment block, and having a house and a garden, it's unimaginable. And I don't think enough has been made of that. I don't think the sacrifice made by people who are less well off in lockdown, as opposed to people with more comfort. is it, it, And again, people who are younger, who made a, a sacrifice on behalf of people like me to keep me alive. 
I, I hope the reckoning is that we reckon those of us like basically <laughs> middle-aged wealthy people. I hope we remember in terms of housing, etc. But anyway, let's not get on to a little bit of politics at the moment. You asked me about lockdown, um, but we had very little in Western Australia. Uh, five weeks, it was fine. Uh, and then because they closed the borders, we had this gilded cage, which was actually lovely, but also very, very hard for me because my work was over here and my very elderly mum, I got to the point where I thought I'll never see her again. Uh, as it happens, I've got back, I've seen her and it's all wonderful and we're going to have Christmas. But I won't be with my wife this Christmas for the first time in, in all our time together because she's the border's still locked in Western Australia. I left, but I couldn't go back. And you said, uh, let's not get onto politics, but let's. I mean, mm-hmm. for, for someone who spent such a large part of their career actually getting their hands dirty uh, in terms of the the, 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 the hypocrisies of the political um, classes, if you will, um, how do you see politics in Britain today? I mean, incredibly divisive, perhaps even more so than in the 1980s, which is hard to kind of imagine because, you know, then there were people out in the streets, as you know, as you said, you know, mm-hmm. there was a minor strike and, and, and so on. But it feels very much today like that, 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 you know, as you've just said, that perhaps particularly because of the pandemic, there's been a polarisation uh, in, in terms of, you know, the haves and the have-nots mm. and in terms of people's sense of their own power uh, in society. Yeah, I think it's a very sad time. I don't think people do feel that anything matters. And I think the greater, like, like that, they'll be able to improve things with it. But I think the, the greatest cancer of democracy is the idea they're all the same. Voting doesn't matter. And, and, and most people are still voting and still care, but we are all beginning to feel, will anything, you know, improve the, the, the common lot? When you see, I, look, there are many, many politicians of goodwill and good character on, on all sides, but certainly when we can see, and I'm not going to make any secret out of it, when we can see a modern generation of politicians who are clearly not motivated by the common good, I'm sorry, but I'm, I mean, that's my opinion. Some of your listeners may disagree, but whilst... Whilst, you know, a man like John Major, who I knew well, was a, not well, but a little, was a, a man of great, I don't agree with him politically, but a man of great personal principle and integrity and was in it because he believed he was doing things better for people. I don't think that's the case with the current prime minister or the cabinet. I think that's, it's terribly hard to get kids to be interested when, 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 when they can see that really the, the biggest liar wins, you know, I mean, with Trump, I mean, I'm sure some of your listeners are chewing the carpet of this, but that's my view. If they feel differently, then of course they'll vote differently and that's their prerogative, but you've asked me. And, and I think that the standard of, of debate has collapsed because we've, the internet, I guess, has allowed those with the simplest, most mendacious message to, to triumph. And, you know, like, Life is complicated. Brexit was complicated. Lockdown is complicated. Funding the NHS is complicated. And it three word slogans are ridiculous. But, you know, they're kind of easy and they kind of win. And I think we it is a difficult time. I, I think it would be hard to persuade any young person to go into politics. And I hope they do continue to do so. And there are still good people on all sides. Um but I don't think they're in power. I'm sorry, that's my view. <laughs> don't come and see me. But I won't be talking about this on stage because, you know, I don't always. I know everyone thinks I've banged on about that for 40 years, but believe me, I didn't. You can't have a career I've had if you just bang on about politics, and I haven't, and I don't. But you asked me, so there you go. Thanks 
for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my program every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4 on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.